Our second reading this morning comes to us from the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. We'll be reading in chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Listen for God's word to you. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, although someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I mentioned uh, earlier that today is Trinity Sunday, um, and uh, usually that is a, the day that we set apart in the life of the church to celebrate or to 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 grapple with, maybe is a better word, to to try to get our heads wrapped around the doctrine that God is three persons in one. And um, uh, but today is also Father's Day, and so um, I thought to myself, well, let's see. Last week was. Uh, the Pentecost, where we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, and this week is Father's Day, maybe what I could do is I could have a Trinity series instead of, instead of a uh, single Sunday uh, for the Trinity. I could, I could spend three weeks trying to wrestle with what it is the, the Trinity is. So, so um, we're going to be looking at the Trinity, um, and next week is the easy one because everybody loves Jesus, uh, but uh, this week is really kind of the hard week because because fathers are sometimes prickly, and sometimes uh, fathers are are stern, and sometimes, frankly, fathers are bad. And when we when we think about the Christianity, Christianity tells us that that something happened in the past that was great. Jesus has accomplished something in the past, and because of that, we have a great future. But sometimes we don't realize the resources that Christianity has to get us through the present, because the present can be unpleasant. The present can be hard. It can be difficult. And um, sometimes it can be extremely difficult. Historically, of course, uh, Christians often faced all kinds of persecution. And, and of course, people in general face violence and warfare and things like that. Um, uh, sometimes Christians still face uh, persecution today. You may remember at Easter, there was the, the bombings in Sri Lanka and 250 people died. 500 people were injured as recently as April. So uh, the present can be hard, and uh, we don't have to be enduring that sort of persecution to realize the present is hard. You may be able to point to your own life. You may be able to say, if you knew what was going on with me at work, or if you knew uh, what I'm trying to deal with in my finances, and I don't see how I can deal with this. Um, if, you, if you say, I've, I've got some health challenges that are just about all I can um, take, uh, then you may be saying to yourself, here's the problem I have. If God is a loving Heavenly Father, then why is the present 
so bad? How could a loving Heavenly Father stand by and watch His children suffer? So we wrestle with this because because Jesus was very comfortable with the idea of God as a loving Heavenly Father. But we look at our own lives, and frankly, we can look at what happened to Jesus, and we can say, how could a loving Heavenly Father stand by when His children are suffering? So we ask ourselves, what kind of father um, that uh, that we're talking about here? And there are a bunch of different answers people have tried. And maybe, maybe this is one you default to yourself. That when something goes wrong in your life, well, you say, well, this is, this is my past catching up with me. And, and sometimes you may say it just kind of very fatalistically. Or sometimes you may actively say, this is God punishing me for the thing I did when I did the thing or whatever it is. Where you're saying, you're saying, this is, you know, this is kind of karma with a face. This is karma with a personality. And God is punishing me. And this this is, this is the way people historically have dealt with the problem uh, of, of uh, difficulty in their life. They say, well, you must have angered a God or you must have angered the God. And, and that's the way, historically, most people have always dealt with this problem. But Paul has told us, in fact, in the reading we're looking at today, he has just spent four chapters telling us the way that we have been set right with God. And he begins in our reading today, he says, therefore, we've been made right with in God's sight by faith, so we have peace with God. He says, no, it's not punishment. God is not punishing you, and that's not the reason that you have difficulty in your life. Well, what other options are there? Well, historically, people said the world is absurd, that God is is out of the picture. Today, today, atheists say there is no God. But historically, people would say, look, the gods are distant, they're removed, they've got other things to deal with. And so you just kind of muddle through your life as best as you can, because it doesn't make any sense. The world is fundamentally absurd. And so for you to worry about why God would punish you or something is, is really a, a, a dumb way to spend your time. And so they would say, what you should do is focus on having as much pleasure as you can, and hopefully that will get you through the difficulties in your life. And so historically, people who did this, the, the school of thought here is identified with Epicureanism. So the Epicureans were people who said, the world is absurd, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, focus on the good and try to avoid as much bad as possible. So that was historically the way people dealt with it. And I think today we see the celebrity atheists who say the same thing. There is no God, there is no rhyme or reason to the world, you just do the best you can. And, and, and hopefully it will be better than it is bad. And that's the way that a lot of people have looked at the world. Other people say, no, the world is tragic. The world is this Darwinian uh, struggle for survival that uh, lions eat zebras and nobody promised you a rose garden, that the world is intrinsically hard. Why would you ever think the world should be easy? And because the world is tragic, you only have two options. You can say, well, then... I'm going to contribute to it by making everybody around me miserable. I can live my life in such a way that I actually add to the tragedy. Or I can live my life in such a way that I actually make things a little bit better. I realize I can't change the fundamental character of the world. The world is tragic. But I can, in my own world, by my own power, I can make the world better or worse. And so historically, the, the school of thought that, 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 uh, followed this line of thinking was the Stoic philosophy. And today, I think probably the, the most prominent, uh, 
uh, representative of this school of thought today is probably Jordan Peterson, who is telling people all the time to to uh, make their bed, stand up straight, put their shoulders back, and carry their cross up the hill. So that's the way that, that the world has historically looked at this. They've either said the world is absurd or the world is tragic. You either, you either try to avoid the pain or you confront it head on and, uh, and overcome it by your own personal strength. And in the face of all that, Paul comes up with a third option, or Paul points out that Christianity has a third option, which is restoration. It says, yes, the world is a mess. The world is tragic. But God is not leaving it that way. God is actually changing the world for the better. And so Paul has spent the past four chapters telling us about Christ, who he sees as Adam 2.0. He says, he says, the first Adam came and because of Adam's failures, we are all dealing with a fallen world. But he said, Christ came, Jesus came, who is because he is a human, he is Adam 2.0, and because he got things right, we have peace with God. He says that he is the first sign of what God is doing for the whole world, for, for the entire universe. God is setting everything to right, everything back to its original uh, purposes, that, that God's original design for the world. That this is, this is the idea that, that Paul is, is speaking about, and so he says, he says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us to this place of undeserved privilege. This is not something we overcame on our own power. Paul is not saying I'm like a stoic and because I'm so good at straightening up and putting my shoulders back and climbing that hill that I got there. He's saying, no, this is undeserved. It's something that Christ did for me. But because of what Christ did for me, I now stand in a place of undeserved privilege and I can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. God's glory is the original purpose of God. If you think back to the story in the garden, God's original purpose was for humans to have dominion over the world. That this would be a place where we would serve as, as viceroys or, or sometimes I say as scarecrows, uh, reflecting God's image into this world. That that's our original purpose, that God made us to rule this world. So he says, we can confidently and look forward, uh, joyfully look forward to that because God is putting that vision back into place. But he says more than that. We don't just have to have confidence in the destination. We can have confidence in the journey as well. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems. Excuse me. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Because they, we know that they help us endure, uh, develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. He says, by, by virtue of the fact that we endure the challenges that, that are in front of us, that develops strength of character. And the character, he means, is the character of Christ. That Christ is being formed in us. That we are, we are being conformed to the likeness of Christ our Savior, that this is God's purpose. And as we see that, we can rejoice and say, we can say not just, I am, I am better than I was. I am a different person. The old me would not have done that. The old me would not have been able to deal with that the way I have successfully been able to deal with it now. So we can have, we can have, we can have um, happiness. We can celebrate that in our own behalf. But he says more than that, as we see that going on, we can, we can, it can give us confidence. He says, he says, um, we we can um, 
This hope will not lead to disappointment because he says the character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. We can, we can have greater confidence in all that God is doing because we see it in us. I mean, after all, who am I? If God would waste the effort to transform me, then that gives me greater confidence that God is, is dealing with the important people and the important parts of the world as well. So that I have greater confidence in God's whole purpose by seeing it carried out in me as I develop, um, as I develop the character of Christ. So, am I saying that we should be happy because we suffer? No, and neither is Paul. Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying you should be happy because by enduring, you can see Christ developed in you. So that's his idea. And I was trying to think, how can we, how can we, how can we understand this? How can we relate to this? Well, I'm going to try this way. Friday, uh, we had something in our parking lot. The, um, the school system wanted a lot of money, and uh, when the Children's World decided to, to host a um, trikathon, the uh, school district said, you, you know, you can use the Sand Lake parking lot, but they, they wanted a lot of money. And so Children's World approached us, and because this church has a long tradition of uh, using the things that God has given us to bless the community, um, I said, sure. So, so they had this um, uh, trikathon out in the out in the yard or out in the driveway. And um, it's it's a really good cause. Um, all these little kids um, uh, rode around. I don't know five or eight times, maybe, um, and they raised about fourteen hundred, almost fifteen hundred dollars for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So it's a good cause, but it's also a good cause because it's just a chance for parents to see their kids and and cheer them on and so forth. So I went out and took some pictures and and it was it was fun and it it was fun for me because it reminded me of my my own kids at that age. They both enjoyed bicycling. Here's a picture of Neil. We biked uh, 3 miles when he was very small. He was uh 5 I think then. Um, we biked uh, three miles there and back to the library. And if you know Neil, of course we would be biking to the library. So, um, and this is a picture of my daughter uh, right after she got a two wheeler or really a four wheeler. And um, I was thinking about that because this this Friday there were kids. There was there was some trikes. Uh, there were actual trikes in the trikeathon, but there was also a lot of uh, two wheelers with training wheels. And there were a few kids who actually had had the training wheels removed. So. I thought of that picture. And uh, my, my kids continue to enjoy biking when we were in New Jersey and when we lived in California. We enjoyed going biking. And uh, uh, we still do. So uh, Margo's not a biker, but my kids are. So here's a picture from last last year we were biking someplace. And um, that is that is where we are today. But 50 years ago, if you had seen me 50 years ago today, that's that's me except... You wouldn't have seen me like that because my head was covered in bandages. Because one afternoon I went out to the desert north of town, and I um, I went out to the desert north of town, and I went biking on uh, up and down the little hills. There were there's bike trails and so forth out in the hills, and. Um, my bike was not in good repair, as I discovered, because as I was going down this one hill, um, the, the brakes didn't work, and then the handlebars uh, weren't firm, and so I went over the top of the handlebars, and I skidded about five feet on my face. So um, so uh, um, I got up, and it wasn't really hurting, but there was kind of a strange tingling feeling on my face. So I put my hand on it, and I came back, and it was all red. And I thought, well, that can't be good. <laughs> And so I flagged down. There, there was a bunch of dirt bikers who were biking, uh, you know, motorcycling around in the in the area not far from where I was uh, 
riding my bike. And um, I flagged one of them down, and he came, he came up to, to where I was, and he, he pulled the visor up on his helmet, and then he took off his sunglasses, and all he did was say, where do you live, kid? <laughs> and so I left my bike there in the desert, and I got a ride home, my first ever motorcycle ride, actually. Um, I got a ride back to where I lived, and uh, my parents took me to the hospital. And at the hospital, they cleaned me all up, and they uh, put bandages around my head. And uh, either the next day or the day after, I went to school because it was like the end of May, and I got out early. I got a week out early, so I went in all bandaged up. I looked like a mummy, and um, I went in, and I cleaned out my desk, and all the kids are like, you know, who's the monster kind of thing. And and then that whole summer, after I finally got the bandages off, then I had to wear this big, almost like a sombrero, a big hat with a big brim, because the, the doctor didn't want me to get sunburned. He said because the, as the skin grew back that it was very sensitive, and so in the New Mexico sun, I should not wear... Um, I should not just uh, take my chances. It was the only uh, only reference in my childhood I can remember to worrying about sunburn. So um, we just didn't in those days. So that's kind of my history. And um, uh, uh, what happened next is um, my dad helped me get my bike fixed. And I kept on biking. And today... When I go biking down a hill, I'm still nervous to this day. <laughs> I still am nervous, and I still ride the brakes more than I should. But I don't want that failure, that 50-year-old failure, to define me. What I'd really like is to be like this. So show us this. This is a video I see on YouTube. <laughs> It goes on. It's like five minutes like that. So um, you can you can look for them on YouTube. Uh, once you see one, it'll show you a bunch more. Um, and I saw that a couple of years ago. It's from 2013, I think. And and I remembered the accident I had. But that's what we should not be. We should not be defined by our failures. Ultimately, what God is doing is saying, "Look, I know the accident, but I'm going to help you fix your bike." Because that's what I want for all of you. God wants all of us to be doing backflips over 72-foot canyons. Spiritually. Some of us, some of us remember Van Jones. Van Jones was an advisor to President Obama. And a couple of years ago, he gave a talk um, uh, he was being interviewed by David Axelrod at uh, University of Chicago. Axelrod was also an advisor of uh, President Obama's. And they were talking about, you know, in 19, uh, 2017, uh, the big issue on campus was safe spaces and trigger warnings and things like that. And uh, uh, Axelrod asked Van Jones, what do you think about that? And he said, well, there, there should be physical safety on campus. No one should be uh, uh, worried about being assaulted on campus. He said, 
Absolutely. But then he said, as for trigger warnings and as for safe spaces, he said, he said this. He said, I don't want you to be safe. I want you to be strong. I'm not going to pave the jungle. Put on some boots and learn to deal with adversity. I'm not going to take the weights out of the gym. That's the whole point of the gym. And when I saw that, I remembered something. Urban McManus, he's a pastor in Southern California. He said this, you are called not to be a survivor, but to be a conqueror. With passion and anticipation, you move with determination into the eye of the hurricane. This is our calling. This is the spiritual equivalent of riding that bike down that crazy path. The idea uh, is catching on. It's, it's getting some frequency today. Um, I don't know if any of you have read this book. It's by Nassim Taleb. It's called Anti-Fragile. He came up with this word. This is the guy who wrote The um, Black Swan. And he came up with this word. He, he said, we all, know about, we all know about fragile things. If you, if you stress them, they break. And he said, we know about resilient things. If you stress them, they take it. But he said, there needs to be a word for anti-fragile things, where they actually improve because of the stress. And we know things like that. Uh, you're probably in a relationship with one of them because that's what people are like. Uh, if you've ever had surgery, you remember the doctor told you that they wanted you up out of the bed doing laps around the ward because you're anti-fragile. You actually improve with stress. This is why when, when astronauts come back from the space station, they find that they have lost their bone density because they need the stress of actually using their body in order to have the, the strength that they're, they're supposed to have. A couple of, um, I don't know, I guess it was almost a year ago, I, I met a mom and she was talking to me about her son. Her son's about 10. He has all the food allergies. I mean, she said that there's like six things he could eat. But she was super excited because he had just successfully eaten his first ever peanut. He'd eaten a whole peanut all by himself, and she was so proud. Um, she didn't just like hand it to him. This was part of a process that it was, it took months of conditioning his body, and it was uh, closely supervised by an allergist, uh, to slowly increase the amount of peanut protein he was he was exposed to until finally he was able to eat an entire peanut all by himself because our immune systems are anti-fragile. And what, what they are discovering is that there are ways of restoring that to, a, to one that has gotten off track. When the, when the immune system goes haywire, it, it creates allergies. But there's ways by, by gradually reintroducing something, um, you can do this safely. So, so she was super excited about that. And this is what anti-fragility is. And what the scriptures teach us is that we are, we are anti-fragile. Paul says we're not just anti-fragile in our immune system, in our skeleton. We are anti-fragile in our whole selves, including our spirituality. That God made us to endure stress. And that as we do that, we will actually see Christ being formed in us. So, what do we do? Well, First of all, we don't be afraid. Um, we don't be afraid because because we have peace with Christ. Uh, we have peace with God through Christ, and God is not punishing us. When we have difficulty in our lives, it's not because God is getting even with us, because we have peace with God. So we don't have to be afraid. Now, that doesn't mean we should be stupid. Paul is not telling us, you know, YOLO, you only live once, uh, go crazy, do something, do something absurd. In fact, Paul famously tells us elsewhere, he says, Put on your boots. 
He says, put on your sandals, actually. But he says, put on your sandals, because he's not going to pave the jungle. He says, he says, put on your, put on your sandals, put on your helmet, put, take up your, your sword and your shield, put on the whole armor of God. Paul is not telling us to be stupid, but he's telling us to face adversity without fear. So. How do you do this? Well, I'll give, you, I'll give you a practical application. This is what I'm working on, and you can check with my family to see how successful I am. Stop complaining. You know, instead of saying, instead of saying, I don't know how much more I can take, ask this, how much more can I take? You know, just that, that simple change may be enough that you actually begin to see what God is doing in your life, that you may begin to say, you know, that's not the way I would have dealt with that in the past. Because God is actually at work in me. God is transforming me. God is making me, bit by bit, slowly but surely, like that kid learning to eat a peanut, making me into the image of his son Jesus. And then when that happens, celebrate. You should celebrate because, first of all, you'll be more attractive. The people you admire most are this kind of people. The ones where you say, I don't know how they do it, right? Things just bounce off them. They just, they, you know, they have an even keel that, that you like those people and you can become one of them. But then celebrate because it says what Paul's telling us here. It says that God is restoring the world. The world is not destined to absurdity. The world is not intrinsically tragic. The world is tragic now, but God is restoring it. And he's starting with us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, every one of us has had some kind of a bike wreck where we walked around in bandages and a big hat. But your goal for each of us is that we will eventually jump a canyon. Give us confidence that you are with us, that the troubles that face us are not your punishment because we are bad. They are your remedy for what makes us bad. Give us confidence and help us to see you at work in the whole world. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.